find the truth that you would have us to uh, find in the scripture, Lord. I pray that the uh, chapter would open up to us, that we might be able to learn some uh, truth from this, Lord, that we could apply to our lives, and that we might be able to understand the book of Judges better. Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us tonight, and that your Holy Spirit would teach us the Bible. That's why we're here, to learn the Word of God. In your precious name I pray, amen. All right, we were there in Judges chapter number 18. And we've been going through the book of Judges on Sunday nights. We find ourselves here in Judges 18. And Judges 18 is kind of a continuation of Judges chapter 17. If you remember when we uh, studied chapter 17 last week, we talked about Micah and his uh, Levite, that he made a priest unto him. And he remember he stole the 1,100 shekels from his mom. Then they made that into an idol. It was a big old mess. And uh, last week we started a view of the average Christian, and I guess this is, chapter 18 is a view of the average Christian continued, or a view of the average Christian society. And really, I believe what God's trying to teach us and show us is that these people were just a mess. And when the Word of God is not your authority, and the Word of God is not leading your life, your life will be a mess as well. And if you look at verse 1 there... The, the, the chapter begins with this phrase that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Now, that, that phrase there should already uh, kind of reset our minds to remind us because there are two times in the book of Judges, the two verses that kind of uh, completely narrate or, or bring the context of the book of Judges, uh, both have that phrase in them. Uh, just real quickly, go to uh, Judges 17, look at verse 6. We saw it last week. Judges 17. 17 verse 6, the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Go to Judges 21. Look at verse 25. Judges 21 and verse 25. You find the same uh, uh, phrasing again. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So when we get to Judges 18 and verse 1, the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel. What God is trying to remind our minds of is that every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was nobody there. And a king isn't necessarily a good thing, but a king at least forced people to do what was right, not only by their own standards. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says there, in those days there was no king in Israel. And God's trying to bring to attention the fact every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Now notice what it says. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in, for unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. Now, I want you to understand something, okay? Last week, we started in Judges chapter 17, and if you remember last week, I told you that Judges 17 kind of begins a new phase of the book of Judges. We're no longer dealing with the specific judges, like Samson, like Gideon, like Barak, okay? We're dealing with just the nation of Israel during the time of Judges, and Here's what you got to understand. Judges chapter 1 through 16 are pretty much in chronological order. We go from one judge to the next judge to the next judge to the last judge in the book of Judges, which is Samson. Chapters 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 are not necessarily in chronological order. And what I mean by that is the events of chapters 17 and 18 did not necessarily happen after the life of Samson. Okay? These are stories that God is trying to show us. Now this is during the time of the judges, but we don't know exactly when that was. But you got to understand, it does not follow a chronology after that. And let me prove that to you. Okay? Keep your finger there in Judges 18. Go to Joshua chapter number 19. 
Joshua chapter number 19. Now in Judges 18.1, the Bible says that in those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in, for unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. Now chapter 18, we're going to deal, the entire chapter is going to be dealing with watching this tribe of uh, these Danites Find an inheritance, okay? Are right, you there in Joshua chapter 19? Look at verse 47. Joshua 19, verse 47. And the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them. Therefore, the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and dwelt therein and called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. This is the inheritance. Of the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families, these cities with their villages. Okay, so here's what you need to understand. In Joshua 19, verses 47 and 48, we read of Dan going out and conquering this location called Leshem, and they rename it Dan. In Judges chapter 18, we get the same story, but it's way more expanded. And uh, what I mean by that is we get a lot more details as to what actually happened. Chapter 18 serves as a commentary for Joshua 19, 47 and 48. Joshua 19, 47 and 48, we get a, you know, just the, the statement, Dan did this. Now we're going to find in Judges 18 how that happened. So obviously, Judges 19 happened probably before Samson. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's why these chapters aren't necessarily in chronological order. Uh, go back to Judges 18, that's just something for you to realize. Realize as you're studying the scripture, a little bit of food for thought. Judges 18, look at verse 2. And the children of Dan sent of their family five men from their coast, men of valor, from Zorah and from Eskiel, to spy out the land, to search it. And they said unto them, Go, search the land, who when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there. Okay, so remember in chapter 17, we read about Micah, who was an Ephraimite. Alright? Now the children of Dan have sent five men. The Bible says they are men of valor. And they sent five men to spy out this land that they're going to conquer, because the land that they were given, they said was too little for them, it wasn't enough for them, they weren't able to take it, so they want to take an additional land. They sent five men to go take this land and possess this land and as they're out traveling trying to figure out what land they're going to take they come upon Mount Ephraim you got to remember that because that's kind of important to the, to, the, to the next point that I'm going to make here Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah uh, they lodge there so they get to Micah's house in Ephraim verse 3 when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, alright? So we got Micah who owns a house, and we got this young man, the Levite, that in chapter 17 came from Bethlehem, Judah, and they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned in hither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? Okay, now let me just give you a few things in geography so you're going to understand what's going on here, alright? Ephraim... And the nation, the, the, the city that Dan is going to take over is the most northern part of Israel. In fact, Dan, as you read through your Bible, often, often you'll find this phrase. It'll say from Dan to Beersheba. 
And what that means is, they're saying the, the whole nation of Israel, from the northern point to the southern point. Dan was the most northern point of Israel. Beersheba would be considered the most southern point. So they're, they're saying from Dan to Beersheba, they're saying from the most northern part of Israel to the more southern part of Israel. And, and it's a very northern extreme, alright? Judah and Bethlehem Judah, where Jesus was born, would be in the southern kingdom, okay? The Levite came from Bethlehem Judah, and he traveled from the south of Israel up to Ephraim to the north of Israel, okay? Now, I'm saying all that just because I want to explain this to you. Verse 3, when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, okay? So they knew this, they heard the voice of this young man, the Levite, and they turned in hither, and said unto him, and said unto him, who brought thee hither? So they heard the voice of the young man, and they, and they went and they said, hey, who brought you here? And what makest thou in this place? What are you doing here? What hast thou there, here? Now, it could have been that they knew the Levite, and they recognized his voice. You ever heard someone, and you recognize their voice because it's someone you're acquainted with? Okay? Now that may have been what happened here, but... Another possibility, and this is, this is less preaching and more Bible study, but I just want you to see this. Another possibility is not that they necessarily heard his voice and knew the young man, but they heard his voice and knew his accent. Okay? And what I mean by accent, I actually mean a lack of an accent. And let me show you what I mean, okay? Go back to Judges chapter 17. Look at verse 1. Judges 17, verse 1. The Bible says, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim, Whose name was Micah. Okay, so Micah is from Mount Ephraim. Now skip down to verse 7. And there was a young man of Bethlehem Judah. Okay, so the young man is from Bethlehem Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem Judah to sojourn where he could find a place, and he came to Mount Ephraim to the house of Micah. Alright, so Micah's in Mount Ephraim. The, the young man, the Levite, comes from Bethlehem Judah, and he came to Mount uh, Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, When comest thou? And he said unto him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. Alright, so we know one from Bethlehem Judah, one from Ephraim. Go to Judges chapter 12, look at verse 5. In Judges chapter 12, verse 5. We preach through Judges 12. We preached through Judges 12 a few weeks back. And maybe you'll remember the story. Judges 12, verse 5. Remember they were having a civil war. And they were fighting because uh, 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 Jephthah didn't, wasn't able to control his tongue. Remember that? And he, he spoke sharply to the people, unlike Gideon did. In the same situation. Remember that sermon? Jephthah versus Gideon. Judges 12, 5, the Bible says, And the Gileadites took the passage of Jordan before the uh, Ephraimites. And it was so that when the Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? And if he said, Nay, they said unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. Alright? So what we can learn from this passage is this. The Ephraimites have a different accent. Or at least a lisp. Or they, they can't perform, they can't, their mouth can't say certain sounds. Alright? So when the Gileadites were fighting the Ephraimites, the Gileadites would say, Are you from Ephraim? They would say, No. And they would say, Okay, we'll say Shibboleth. And they would say, Sibboleth. <laughs> For he could not frame to pronounce it right. 
Then he took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at the time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. Forty and two thousand guys died because they could not pronounce Shibboleth. Can you imagine being in that line? You know those guys were up. What's the password? <laughs> it's Shibboleth. <laughs> no, no, no. Shibboleth. Take that guy over there. You know what I mean? But here, here's the point. They weren't able to say certain words, okay? It sounds from Scripture like these Ephraimites had some sort of an accent or a dialect. They weren't able to pronounce the word, okay? So we get back to Judges 18. You got a Levite from Judah living in Ephraim. He's saying Shibboleth. They're saying Sibboleth. Okay? And that's probably what, what, what the Bible is referring to when they heard his voice. They probably didn't recognize his actual voice as an acquaintance, but they recognized that he wasn't pronouncing words with a lisp. And they realized, this guy's not from Ephraim. So they walk up to him and they say, hey, where are you from? What are you doing here? Does that make sense? Look at verse 4. And again, that has nothing to do with anything, just something that I thought was interesting in the chapter. Judges 18, look at verse 4. And he said unto them, Thus and thus, so they asked him, What are you doing here? Who brought you here? Why are you here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, As counsel, we pray thee of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace, before the Lord is your way, wherein you go. Now I want you to understand this, okay? This is a picture of modern Christianity. This is a picture of the average Christian. You say, well, why is that? Well, here's what you got to understand, okay? These five men came from Dan. They're searching for a place. But here's what you got to understand. These five men are not honest men. They are not good men. In fact, later in the chapter, uh, we'll skip down to verse 17. Judges 18, verse 17. Look at what these five men end up doing. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in hither and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image and the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. Okay, so these five men later in the chapter end up robbing Micah. Okay, they're stealing his stuff. These guys are not honest people. These guys are not good people. These are bad people. They are stealing. Alright? So here you got wicked, sinful men that are stealing going to a Levite. So these are not honest men. And they're going to a priest that's not an honest priest. Remember from chapter 17? He was a Levite. But no indication that he was a son of Aaron. No indication that he met the qualifications to be a priest. Micah just says, well here, I'm going to make you my priest. And he's like, sure, I'll be your priest. They're worshipping idols. They're, they're, they're not doing it the way God said it. I mean, you've got men that are not honest, going to a priest that is not honest. And they're asking God to bless their way. Or asking God if God is going to bless their way. And notice the response he gets. Look at verse 6, Judges 18.6. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace. Before the Lord is, the Lord is, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Before the Lord is your way, wherein you go. Now let me ask you a question. What does that mean? I mean, read it. Go in peace. Before the Lord is your way, wherein you go. You know what he's saying? Nothing. I mean, think about what he's saying. Before the Lord is your way, wherein you go. Here's what he's saying. The way that you're going, God sees what you're doing. Newsflash, God sees everything. 
Do you understand that? God sees everything we do. So these guys say, they, they say, well, is our way going to be prosperous? And he says, well, God sees you, so go in peace. It's like not saying anything. But let me tell you something. That's what the average Christian gets every Sunday at church. Amen. A whole lot of nothing. It sounds religious. It sounds nice. It sounds good. But it's not Bible. It's not based on Scripture. They said pray for us. We don't see him bow his head. We don't see him get on his knees. We don't see him open a Bible. He's, he's saying nothing. He's just saying, God, just go in peace. Just feel good about what you're doing. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're living in sin. But feel good about it. Just go in peace. Before your way. Before The Lord is before you. Just go. The Lord is before everybody. The eyes of the Lord see everything. They see the evil and the good. This guy's saying nothing. But you know what we have in America today? We have a whole lot of preachers that aren't qualified to stand behind a pulpit. Divorced, remarried, women preachers, guys that don't know the Bible. They couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper bag and their life depended on it. Yet people are going to their churches week after week and those people are living in sin. They don't know how to do right. They don't know how to live right. No one has taught them to write. They go to a priest that's not qualified and the priest says, just go good about yourself. That's the Christianity we live in. And God is looking at that and he was just, you know, he laughed if it wasn't so sad. You got a dishonest Christian going to a dishonest preacher, getting a dishonest message in the name of God, and God has nothing to do with it. God's not a hundred miles from them. And that's your local Baptist church, your local contemporary church, your local Pentecostal church, your local whatever church you're going to go to and hear a message that is not based on the Word of God. This is Christianity in America. I hate to break it to you, but we're living in the book, in the, the days of the judges. You say, what are the days of judges? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The Bible doesn't matter. The Word of God doesn't matter. What, what qualifies a priest doesn't matter. Like, what qualifies a pastor doesn't matter. What qualifies a church doesn't matter. Like, what, what, I don't, you know, today you, you got all these quote-unquote churches. They're not churches. We shouldn't even call them that. They biblically don't qualify as a church. They may be a, a club. They may be a society. They might have all sorts of activities. But look, we've got to get back to the Bible. We need a revolution. You say, we need a political revolution. No, we need a revolution back to the Word of God. Where the Bible matters. Where, where, where doctrine is taught. Where it's actually taken seriously what the Bible says. That's why Verity Baptist Church is a very unique church. Because we... we to the best of our ability, we attempt to study the scriptures to show ourselves to prove. To the best of our ability, we try to follow the Bible. And look, you, you know, we don't just decide, well, let's do this, and let's do that, and let's start this ministry, and let's start that. No, let's figure out what God says about it. They've got dishonest Christians going to a dishonest preacher, getting a dishonest message. These people need to be taught to live right. But I'm here to tell you this is Christianity today. Look at verse 7, Judges 18, verse 7. Then the five men departed. They get their feel-good sermon. They check off their, I went to church on Sunday morning. Joel Osteen made me feel good. And now they're on their way. And they, and they leave the same way they came. Nothing changed. Verse 7. Then the five men departed and came to Laish. Alright? That was spelled differently in, in, in uh, Joshua, but that's normal for names to be spelled differently in different books. And saw the people that were therein, how they dealt careless after the matter of the Zidonians, quiet and secure, and there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything, and they were far from the Zidonians and had no business with any man. Okay, I don't want to preach on these people, but let me just explain to you what's going on here. You've got these, this city of Laish, 
It seems from the context that they've got some connection with this nation of the Zidonians. And they're living like them. They're quiet and secure. But there's no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame. Again, no king, no, no one to keep them right. And they were far from the Zidonians and had no business with any man. These guys are just kind of staying to themselves. And here's what I think is interesting. God told them to take over the land. But the writer of Judges 18 almost seems sympathetic towards these people. When you read about it, it almost seems like God doesn't want them to lose their land. And you know, it's a sad thing when God is sympathetic towards the enemies of, of His own people. But look at verse 8. And they came unto their brethren, to Zorah and Estiol, and their brethren said unto them, What say ye? So these five guys, they go out, they check out the land, they come back, they're asked, Well, what happened? What say ye? Verse 9. And they said, Arise, that we may go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And are ye still, be not slothful to go, and to enter and possess the land. So they said, look, we saw the land, it's good, let's go take it. Verse 10. When ye go, ye shall come unto the people secure, and to a large land. For God hath given it into your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. And there went from thence of the family of the Danites, out of Zorah and out of Eshtiel, six hundred men appointed with weapons of war. And they went up and pitched in Kirjath Jerim in Judah, wherefore they called the place Mahan Nidan unto this day. Behold, it is behind Kirjath Jerim. And they passed thence unto Mount Ephraim and came unto the house of Micah. Then answered the five men that went out to uh, the country of Laish. Okay, so here's what you understand. Five guys leave, leave their land to go figure out what land they want to conquer. On the way, they meet Mike, Mike, they go to Micah's house, they meet Micah's Levite, they, they heard his voice, they recognized that he wasn't from town, they started to talk to him, they go, they look at the land, they said it's good, they come back to their tribe, they said hey, let's go get it. Now they're leaving with uh, 600 men of war, and they're going back to conquer that land, but on the way back, guess what? They're traveling through Micah's house again, through Ephraim, verse 14. Then answered the five men that went out to spy out the country of Laish, and said unto their brethren, now notice what they said to their brethren, Do ye know that there is in these houses an ephod, and a teraphim, and a graven image, and a molten image? Now therefore, consider what ye have to do. I thought that was interesting. You don't have to do anything. But notice what they're going to do. Verse 13. And they turned hitherward, and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the 600 men, now look, tell me if you're not going to be a little intimidated. 600 men, appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up, and came in hither, and took the graven image, and the ephod, and the teraphim, and the molten image, and the priest uh, stood in the entering of the gate with 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these, verse 18, went into Micah's house, notice what they do, and fetched the carved image, the ephod, and the teraphim, and the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, what do ye? Alright, so 600 guys shows up, they've got weapons, they surround this little town, they're all waiting at the gate, they're at uh, uh, Micah's property. The five men that were there earlier go inside the house. Not a house that they own. Not a house that is theirs. They weren't invited. They go inside the house. They begin to take the idols. Now look, Micah should not have had those idols, but they were his idols. They should have stolen them. So they go in, they take the idol, they take the teraphim, they take the ephod, they take the molten images, and they're just, they're just taking whatever they want. And the priest 
is stealing. Alright? Do you understand that? Stealing is wrong. If, if, if you ever see somebody out in this neighborhood and they've got our speakers, explain to them. Stealing is wrong. Alright? And, you know, maybe that's something that needs to be preached more often around here. Even at Verity Baptist Church, and this is kind of silly and I'm not complaining, but even at Verity Baptist Church, people think it's okay to just help themselves to toilet paper and paper towels and, and just whatever's lying around in church. Look, just because something is in church doesn't mean it belongs to you. People work hard and tithe from their income so that the church can have the finances to do the things that we need to do. Don't think toilet paper or paper towels or whatever you think just because it's the church. Well, it must be. Who, who gave that to you? No, if you need toilet paper that bad, ask somebody for it. I'm sure we'll donate it. I mean, but if there's something, you know, you don't want to steal this toilet paper. I mean, good night. But these guys go in and they just begin to take what they want. Here's what I'm trying to understand, okay? It's a picture of today, right? Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. They are doing wrong. They are stealing. So that they feel that they can use those items to worship God. They are stealing something so that they can later take those objects and worship God with them. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They are sinning in order to, quote-unquote, serve God. Now, we know they can't serve God with idols. We understand that. We know they can't serve God with a teraphim and with an ephod. But they think, these are religious items, so let's take these items from this guy. Let's take them, you know, let's steal them, let's rob this man, and then we're going to use these idols to worship God. And I'm here to tell you, that's exactly the Christianity of today. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 in your New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You say, Pastor, are people stealing uh, so that they can worship God? No, but here's the principle. We think that we can sin and then serve God. Not sin and serve God as two separate thoughts. Today people think they can sin and serve God with their sin. Say, what are you talking about? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 20. This is the the liberal's most favorite verses. The Bible says, And unto the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. That is a philosophy, and let me say this, those verses taken out of context is a philosophy of the contemporary Christian movement today. They say, well look, we want to we reach the, the, the young people today. So let's reach them with their music. Let's reach them with Christian rap music. And let's find Christian rock and roll music. And let's get some southern gospel music that sounds like the country music of the world. And let's just imitate the world. And let's get the world's music. And we'll be able to attract bigger crowds. And here's what, and here's what they don't understand. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. The Bible says, well, you know, everything that is of the world is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The Bible says that we should not be try, trying to uh, pattern ourselves to, the, to this world standard, but we should be patterning ourselves to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're not supposed to, it says we're supposed to come out from among them. Be separate, say the Lord. But here's what they say. Let's do exactly what 
the Bible tells us not to do in order to serve God. Well, yeah, it's wrong to have that music, but let's use it to bring the young people to Christ. Let me tell you something. It is not right to do wrong in order to do right. Well, you can reach more people if you change your music. And here, this is what liberals have said to me. You know, if you change your music, you, you, even if you think it's wrong, you get more people saved. Don't you want people to go to hell? I'd rather people go to hell and do right. You understand what I'm saying? You say, I can't believe you say that. It's not right to do wrong to do right. If we need to change our music to an ungodly standard in order to get more people saved, then let people die and go to hell. Because it is right to do right all the time. Amen. And, and you say, well, I can't believe you say that. Look, you go spend six hours without a soul winning every week. You go with us every Saturday morning when it's like really cold out there. I don't know what the degrees were yesterday. You know, we obviously care about people getting saved. We're knocking doors. We're getting people saved. I, I'm not saying we want people to die and go to hell, but I'm telling you this. If we can't get anybody saved, but our music is right, if we can't get anybody saved, but the preaching is right, if we can't get anybody saved, but the standards are right, then bless God, keep the standards right. It's not right to do wrong to do right. But today people say, well, let's just be like the world because we can reach more people. If that's the only way to reach people, let them die and go to hell. Because the Bible says, now, now look, look, at, look down at your Bible, 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 20. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. He says, see, see you've got to become like a Jew to the Jews. And to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without the law as well. And so you see, you, to, to those that are without the law, you've got to become like those that are without the law. But notice what it says. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Let me tell you something. Become like a Jew to get the Jew. Become like those that are under the law to be under the those that are under the law, without the law, without the law. But let me tell you something. Whether you're being a Jew, whether you're being weak, whether you're being like a Gentile, whatever you're doing to get whoever he's saved, you are always under the law of God and you're always under the law of Christ. Period. End of story. You can never just ignore the law of God and say, well, I'm trying to be like a Jew. Be like a Jew. Okay? Go to their bar mitzvah. But you're still under the law of Christ. You know, you say, well, Pastor Bennett, I'm trying to be like the people in this society, so I don't want to, you know, wear a tie. Look, don't wear a tie. Do what you're going to do. But you better do right. You can't just sin and call it righteousness because you're doing something right. There are things, there are methods that are not in Scripture that don't matter. I get that. But the things that matter, we need to stick to them. And if it means less people come, if it means less people get saved, if it means less people uh, are ministered to, then so be it. These people said, well, we'll be able to worship. You know, this is what they were thinking. We're going to take this home and we're going to teach our kids about God. Yeah, but you're stealing in order to do it. It's wrong. Go to Judges 18, look at verse 19. But you know why you, know why you don't hear that type of preaching today? Because today people are not taught to have character. Today people are not taught to have a standard in life. Today people are not taught, look, there ought to be things in your life that you're not willing to do. You understand that? That you'd be willing to die. See, if somebody came in today with a gun and said, we're going to blast your, you know, your head off, if you don't take that tie off, guess what, this tie's coming off. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If you, if you don't, you know... Preach in jeans, and we're going to kill you. I'll preach in jeans. 
But if they said, you got to preach with the NIV or we're going to kill you, I'm going to say, kill me. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if they said, well, well we're, 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 you, you better not pray to God or we're going to throw you in the lion's den. Then open up the lion's den. There ought to be things in our life that we're not willing to change. There ought to be things in our life that we're not willing to compromise on. There ought to be standards. Let me ask you, do you have any standards? Is there anything in your life that you say, no, I'm drawing a line. I'm not going any further. Or are you just one of those, yeah, whatever, I'm just in, I'm just out, I'm halfway in, I'm halfway out. You know what they call that? Lukewarm. You're not cold or hot. You can't figure out what you're out. It's wrong to steal. Don't cross that line. Go to Judges 18, look at verse 19. And they said unto him, so this guy is, you know, he's like, what are you doing? You're stealing my stuff. And they said unto him, hold thy peace. Lay thy hand upon thy mouth and go with us. And be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for thee to be a priest unto the house of one man, or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? They say... The, the Levite, he's like, what are you doing? You're stealing our son. And they said, hey, hey, be quiet. Why don't you come with us? He said, isn't it better for you to be a Levite to an entire tribe than to just be a Levite for Micah? Here's what I'm saying. Wouldn't it be better for you to be a Levite to all these people than instead just this little people? Now he's, he's, and he goes with them. Now look, look at verse 20. And the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. You say, well, what's the problem? Here's the problem, okay? Go back to verse number 4. Judges 18, verse 4. And he said unto them, because remember, the first time they were there, they asked him, what are you doing here? And he said unto them, thus and thus dealeth Micah with me. Now make note of this phrase. And he hath hired me. And I am his priest. Okay? The Levite says, I am hired to be the priest. They leave. When they come back, they offer him a better gig. Hey, we'll pay you more money. This is a bigger church. Why don't you come over here? And he's like, sure. I don't get a 401k over here. Sure, I don't. Michael's not giving me any vacation time. Well, what's the problem? Go to John. John chapter 10. We're almost done. Maybe. John chapter uh, 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 10. Look at verse 9. Say, what, what's the problem? I'll tell you exactly what the problem is. John chapter 10. Look at verse 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What's wrong with this Levite? Why does he have no loyalty? John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus Christ said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Amen. The thief cometh... Not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, now notice this. The, the word shepherd is the same word as a pastor. Okay? Now this is Jesus speaking. Now obviously we know he's a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. But notice what he says. Look, look at the contrast. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So he says, look, I'm the good shepherd. And I'm going to give my life for the sheep. If, if the bear comes. If the lion comes. If the wolf comes. I'm going to give my life to 
defend these sheep because I'm the good shepherd. Remember David? David wrestled down the bear. David wrestled down the lion. Why? Because David was a good shepherd. Look at verse 12 though. But he that is an hireling, you see that? But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. And the hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. Now go back to Judges 18. Look at verse 4. Judges 18, verse 4. And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and he hath hired me, and I am his priest. Do you know what the problem with Micah's priest was? Is that his priest was not a shepherd, his priest was a hireling. You say, what's the difference between a shepherd and a hireling? A shepherd is invested in the sheep. A shepherd cares for the sheep. A shepherd loves the sheep. A shepherd defends the sheep. A hireling is trying to get paid. And he'll watch the sheep as long as there's no problems, but as soon as a wolf shows up, I'm out of here. Because <laughs> a hireling flees because he's a hireling. He cares not for the sheep. See... Many churches today are pastored not by shepherds, but by hirelings. Oh, they'll, they'll pastor you and they'll give you the feel-good message till a better church comes along. Do you know how many churches I've heard of in the independent fundamental Baptist uh, movement where a guy will start a church like this one and he'll get it going, he'll get it going, and then he gets offered a job at a better church, at a church that runs twice as much, or he'll get offered a position at a Bible college. Like that's some sort of, you know, step up from the pastorate. You get to teach English at a Bible college. And they'll leave the ministry. And they'll leave their churches. And they won't find them a good leader. To replace them. They'll just leave them. And many churches die. And why do they do it? Because they're a hireling, not a shepherd. A shepherd cares for the sheep. And the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, will never leave the sheep. But you know, sometimes people come to Barry Baptist, you, you say, well, how, Pastor Menace, how do we know that you're a shepherd and not a hireling? I know that's what some of you are thinking right now. Uh, how about this? Church never paid me for like the first two years that I started this church. I don't, how can you be a hireling when you're not getting hired? How about this? To this day, the church doesn't pay me a full-time salary. How about this? You know, you, you say, Pastor Menace, I come to Barry Baptist Church, and sometimes you say things that I don't like it. You say things that are mean, and they, they hurt my feelings. You know, whenever you, whenever I say something and it, it, it hurts you, you ought, to just, you ought to just praise the Lord. You ought to just say this. You know, I may not like it. I may not like him, but at least he's not a hireling. Because, you know, a hireling is worried about getting paid. Some of you come to this church and they'll say, you know, I go to this church and it's kind of watered down, but, you know, I, I think the pastor is a good guy. I just don't, I don't think he's ever been taught how to... How to preach, you know? He doesn't preach like you guys preach. You know, he just kind of preaches positive sermons. I, I think to myself, are you an idiot? You think that guy really hasn't figured out that the Bible says, you know, that fornication is wrong, drunkenness is wrong, stealing is wrong? That guy doesn't say anything negative because he wants your money. That guy's more worried about the offering than he is about you. He's more worried about your, the offering than helping you spiritually. The guy's not a shepherd, he's a hireling. And as soon as a, good, a better deal comes along, he'll go away. The Levite that Micah had was not a shepherd. He was a hire. He was a hireling. As soon as they offered him better benefits, I'm out of here. Here, let me help you carry out that idol as we steal it from Micah. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what he's doing. 
Go to Judges 18, look at verse 21. So they turned and departed, and put the little one and the cattle and the carriage before them. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men that were in the houses near to Micah's houses were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. Let, let me say this, because I, I want to make sure you understand why I said this. He said, How you, you know Pastor Emmanuel is not a hiring because he, he, he doesn't get paid. Here, here's the point I'm trying to make. I, do, I, I would do this whether you paid me or not. Amen. That's a shepherd. You say, well, you don't do everything right. I, I may, you know, I, I may not do everything right. Look, you, you can find you you could find a better speaker as a pastor. I'll tell you that right now. You could find a smarter pastor. You could find a taller pastor. I'm sure that'd be easy. <laughs> you could find a better looking pastor. But you're not going to find a man that loves you more than this guy. Amen. Thank you. are not going to find a guy that's going to care more about you than this guy. Amen, pastor. And I'm not saying that to raise myself up. I'm just trying to tell you that when you find a good pastor, you got to stick with him. Amen. you got to be loyal. you got to do right. Look at verse 22. And when they were gone away from the house of Micah, the men that were in the houses near Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they cried unto the children of Dan, and they turned their faces and said unto Micah, What aileth thee that thou comest with such a company? And he said unto, and, and he said, now, now this is Micah. Micah realizes that they've taken his stuff, they've taken his priest. Now notice Micah shows up to these guys, verse 24, and he said, Ye have taken away my gods which I made, and the priest, and ye are gone away. Now notice this phrase. And what have I more? And what is this that ye say unto me, what aileth thee? Micah says to these guys, he said, I came home, my idol was gone, my ephod was gone, my teraphim was gone, my molten image was gone, my priest was gone, and he said, what have I more? He said, what more can you take from me? You've taken everything. And let me tell you something. That is a sad statement on that man's life. If you went home tonight... And your house was burned to the ground. And you said, I have nothing else left in this world. You live a sad life. Because life is more than things. Life is relationships. Life is investments. I'm not talking about your financial investments. I'm talking about your personal investments. This guy says, we know from chapter 17 that he had sons. His sons were probably with him because the Danites later, they said, look, if you don't close your mouth, we're going to kill you and your household. His family was probably standing right there. His kids were probably standing right there next to daddy as he's saying, I have nothing else. Why? Because you took my idols. But you know, that's how you and I live. We let our financial setbacks put us in a spin. People, you know, I remember hearing stories and reading stories when the market... You know, went down and when the financial, people lost millions of dollars. People were committing suicide. Why? Because they lost money? Because their bank accounts went? I mean, that's a sad statement on life, but that's the America we live in. People's lives are in things, in toys, in money. That's a sad life. You gotta invest your life in people. You ought to give your life to do that which is well-pleasing to God that will matter for eternity's sake even if you don't get paid. Look at verse 25. And the children of Dan said unto him, Let not thy voice be heard among us. 
lest angry fellows run upon thee, and thou lose thy life with the lives of thy household. And the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he returned and went back unto his house. Now notice verse 27. And they took the things which Micah had made, and the priests which he had, and came unto Laish, unto a people that were quiet and secure, and they smote them with the edge of the sword, and burnt the city with fire. Now I want you to make note of this phrase. They took the things which Micah had made. Go back to verse 24 real quickly. Look at this phrase. And he said, this is what Micah said, Ye have taken away my gods, look what he says, which I made. Let me say something. I don't want to serve a God that I made. I want to serve the God that made me. But today, you, you say, well, we don't deal with idolatry today. Oh, we deal with more idolatry than you think. The book of Ezekiel says that you can have idols in your heart. And, and, and let me just explain. You say, well, do we really serve idolatry? Let me, let me explain to you how you know if you're serving idolatry. Anytime you give something that was made with man's hands, priority over God, you are worshipping an idol. Because that's what an idol was. Something that a man made with his hands and they're worshipping as if it's God. And, and you say, well, I don't worship an idol. But people, you worship their, their RVs. I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to go camping. I'm going to have church in the wilderness. Are you like the children of Israel? Because that's when they were backslidden. <laughs> well, you know, you put your job before God, you're worshipping an idol because you're worshipping things that men do. You, put, you know, people say, oh, we're, we're, we can't come to church because we're having family time. Like, have family time on Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, or Thursday, or Friday, or Sunday after church, but you ought to be in church. When we worship the things that we make with our own hands, we're worshiping idols. Look at verse 28. And there was no deliverer because it was from far from Zidon, and they had no business with any man, and it was in the valley that lieth in Beth Rehob, and they built a city, and dwelt therein, and they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father, who was born unto Israel, howbeit the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the children of Dan set up a graven image, and Jonathan the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan, until the day of his captivity of the land, and they set them up, Micah's graven image which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Now let me just make this point. We're done, okay? We're going to look at two verses. We'll be done. Go, 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 to, go to Galatians chapter 5. You know, we'll look at one verse. We'll be done. Galatians chapter 5. Let me just make this point, okay? In chapter 17, we begin the chapter with this young man, Micah. The speaker's trying to tell me it's time to be done. In chapter 17... We begin with this young man, Micah, stealing money from his mother and making an idol. His mom makes an idol and gives it to her son. Okay? So we got one man worshiping an idol. At the end of chapter 17, we've got a house full of idols, a priest worshiping an idol with Micah and his family. And at the end of chapter 18, look at, look at verse 31, Judges 18, 31. And they set them up Michael's grave and image, which made. At the end of chapter 18, we have an entire tribe worshipping an idol. It started with one man, Micah. It ended with an entire tribe given fully to idolatry. Galatians 5.9 A little leaven leaveneth the whole lot. There's no such thing as a small sin. 
Pastor, I've got this saying, but it, it's just, it just affects me. No, it'll affect others. It'll affect your children. It'll affect your grandchildren. It'll affect the people around you. This guy said, I've, I've got an idol, and it's just for me. And at the end of the story, we got an entire tribe worshiping the same idol. Because a little leaven will leaven the whole lot. You better take care of those little foxes. You better take care of those little sins. I'm reminded in James, it talks about the tongue, but it says how great a matter a little fire can do. Little sins turn into big sins. Uh, a sin of one man will encompass an entire nation if it's not put into check. And uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the book of Judges, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be able to just travel through Judges, just going verse by verse through the chapter, gathering the truth as we can through the Scriptures, Lord. And thank you for allowing us to be able to study Judges. And Lord, I pray you'd help everyone here tonight. Uh, Help them to apply truth to their life, Father. But I pray that everyone here would develop some sort of a standard that just, just, just that there'd be things in their lives that they're not going to change. They're not going to, they're not going to cross that line. They're not going to go there. They'd rather die than change. There are things that don't matter. I understand that, but there are things that matter very much. Lord, help us not to be like Micah, just concerned with our own personal finances and convenience, but help us to just be be like Daniel's, be like Joseph's, Lord. Like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.